0: Day. It's another week of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. As always, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenue douglaslakeequipment.com. We're live at the mobile Kintex studio at Rogers Arena Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer, what a weekend. What a busy weekend a since lot, we signed off. A lot has a happened. A lot has happened starting with – well, not starting with, but hey – Knox beat the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-1 in their first post-deadline game. Let's go. And didn't just beat them, but, like,
1: put together the sort of effort that I think a team can dine out on. Like, you know, so I I know this is glass half-empty drance, and I promised
0: myself I wouldn't be this guy. But I am this guy, naturally. This is who I am. Chance, if you want my advice before you go any farther, don't make that promise to yourself anymore. <laughs> You're just setting yourself up for failure. I know, I know. <laughs> You're setting yourself
1: up for a broken well, promise. I watch it. I watch that, that, them play that game. And, look, the Leafs came out hard and outplayed them in the first period pretty soundly, right? It looked the way that I think a but lot you of us would have expected to it yeah. to look. But they weren't generating a ton off the rush, right? They were generating zone time. Mitch Marner was buzzing, doing his laps around the offensive zone and creating plays. But for the most part, I felt like Vancouver's defense held, and in particular, really did well to limit the Leafs against the grain chances, their chances off the rush. They weren't giving up the sorts of chances where, you know, people would blame AHL goaltending, and I'd be like, I don't know, man. I don't know that God himself could have made that a a 3-2 loss. Anyway, then from the second period on, I thought Vancouver was excellent. Like, I thought they had Toronto on their heels. I thought they slowly, maturely, surely with a workmanlike effort that honestly had me after the game thinking why this team's holding out on us. You know like it'd be one thing if we got those types of performances 50 times a year. But I feel like I can count on two hands the number of times we've had them, right? Like the the Colorado games, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I, like, go back three years, I can think of, like, seven or eight efforts like that. And that's, a, you know, we're talking 200 games, a sample of 200 games. You know, I, it's unrealistic to have your pedal down to the floor for, for an 82-game season. But when you're a limited group, right, when you're not as good as a lot of the other teams in the league, the old Marty St. Louis 85%, like, finding the sustainable 85%, the world, like, this team might have to go full tilt 60 times a year to win. You know, like, that that might just be who they are on Saturday, they showed what it can look like. And this isn't to take anything away from, like, Rick Tocket or Structure or whatever else you want to say, Demko, who was sensational again, right? Th- that all mattered. But, like, as I was reflecting on that game and what felt different from so many other ones we've seen this season, in addition to the atmosphere, which was incredible at Rogers Arena, like, it was such a fun time out, the work rate of this team Was it the sort of pitch where if they were at that level with any measure of consistency, man, I'd be singing a different tune (laughs) about this group. And, you know, and to some extent, I'm frustrated that they're not like that more often.
0: Yeah. And for me, if that performance happens in October, then you can look at it and say, like, hey, this season might get pretty interesting. Right. When it happens... And I do wonder if there's something about it being the first game after the deadline as well. Cause what's one of the things we've heard from insiders repeatedly is how difficult all the speculation and the, the period leading up to the deadline was for the Canucks players. Cause there's so many of them involved and there's so much speculation about what is going to happen. So I wonder if there's a sense of kind of exhaling and like, all right, that's done with, let's go out and play. It's hard to know what to read into it when it happens, when your season is already over, right? When you know you're not making the playoffs, like do that early in the season. Okay, and then we're having a different conversation. Then, as you said, it seems like the ceiling for the team is it, it has been raised. Do it now? Do it in March? I don't know. Does it mean anything for next year? The Boudreaux bump didn't. We'll see if this, if it means anything for tonight, even, before we get to next year. But, you know, you mentioned what an atmosphere it was and what a good time it was for the fans. And, look, obviously, any time you beat the Leafs in Vancouver, the fans are going to enjoy that, as they should. And, and it, but as it they the, should.
1: It was the carnival. Like, I wish the Canucks – Like, I think the Canucks have pretty good game experience, game presentation. Like, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of rinks around the league. The bells and whistles that accompany the show in Vancouver have, like, really leveled up since the days of talking about, like, Rogers Library, Mm -hmm. you know, a decade ago. Um, But one thing they did more of you know, from the planted kid who blasted the Leafs, like, what decade is this from? The last time the Leafs won the Cup. Like, uh, the way that they trolled Maple Leafs fans throughout was, like, fabulous. Like, I wish we had... I think they should lean into that more, because I thought it added a, a really nice element. To There's
0: the also cup. just no substitute, though, for fans who are fired up. Like, I agree with you that the Canucks game is awesome, but the game ops can't completely take over for, if you're seeing an underwhelming product, right? So, like, the the... The team has to hold up there under the bar. Game ops or, can only do so much.
1: Game ops can only like we watched years worth of games in empty arenas, and it's like there's something about people being there, insisting that it's important, that makes it feel important. Yeah, right. Like, 100%. The, like you can't you can play game seven of the Stanley Cup final in an empty building. It feels different. It feels weird. It
0: feels weird. But the fans did their part, and you know, I was kind of thinking about from pregame to postgame to yesterday and then this morning about that game, and uh, our guy Dan Riccio, who all of a sudden is like basically an honorary member of Canucks talk with the way he's talking about this team. But he had a tweet basically saying, yeah, it's nice to beat the Leafs, but that can't be your Super Bowl every year, right? Like that can't be the game you have circled on your calendar. And Hey, we did that. And we feel so great about ourselves and, and it had the quote before the game, you know, Hey, this is going to be our type of playoff game. Oh, see, it's going to be a playoff that was, atmosphere. I thought that was miss. Uh, I thought people misinterpreted that one. People,
1: people were saying like, Oh, that's pathetic. Or like he got a lot of heat. For, for saying that in advance. But I think if you're a coach and you're trying to win a game, like convincing the Maple Leafs that it's the playoffs is a great way to beat
0: them. <laughs> I thought that was stellar gamesmanship from Talk it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I was thinking, my first, my kind of gut instinct was to totally agree with Riccio, right? That you got to set the bar way higher, to agree with the people kind of rolling their eyes at, oh, this is our playoff game because it's not. It's March and you're completely out of it. But the more I thought about it, like, I, I think I'm just going to go all in on taking whatever joy I can out of the fun moments with this team, Francis. because what else is there? What else is there at this point? And you know what? Look, <laughs> Don't ask me that. Look question. what we My saw. Uh, look what we got to see on Saturday. Thatcher Demko was incredible. Elias Patterson and JT Miller combined for two shorthanded goals. Quinn Hughes, two more assists continues to be absolutely phenomenal. Look, I still have major, major reservations about the way this team is being built, the plan for the future, to the extent that there is a plan, what's going to, <laughs> what's going to come of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes in their primes here. (laughs) But I also know, I can tell you with a great degree of certainty what way it's going to go. You know, like what the moves are going to be. And they're not going to be what I want. And if that's the case, I basically have two options, right? Like one is to drive myself insane, (laughs) banging my head against a brick wall. And the other is to at least pray for and enjoy nights like that when they happen. So I'm con- So that's what I have to do. That's I- what I have to
1: do. I'm constitutionally unable <laughs> to embrace this organization's particular brand of short-sighted chaos. I'm just not able to do it. I'm not able to do it. I would love to go with the flow a little bit. Mm-hmm. It would it would definitely be better for m- me. I just can't. I just can't do it. I try and I can't. I honestly, I woke up today thinking I'm going to be in a positive attitude all day today, and then by the time I got to the rink, I was already like, oh, my goodness. I see no – anyway, I just see no justification for this. And as I considered the fact that we're going to watch the Nashville Predators,
0: a team that sold and is also materially better than the Canucks. And uh, is on, like, a bit of a run all of a sudden here? Like, they're they're hanging around the playoff picture. Yeah. And the Western Conference, the other teams hanging around the playoff pictures don't seem that interested they are- in, in – staving them off factoring
1: in games in hand they are ahead of the national of the calgary flames oh yeah like they are the most realistic probably at this point well i still think the flames are better but i i think they look they have a realistic they have as realistic a shot of crashing the party as anybody the connects have zero shot and this was the team that understood the assignment Uh, that's it's just hard for me it's hard for me to get over it's hard for me to get over and now you know like I listened to 32 thoughts on my way into the rink. Maybe it was F. Friedman and uh, Merrick that put me in a bad mood, um, <laughs> but I listened to today's 32 thoughts and there were sort of a couple points brought up. But one of them was um, that Heronics going to be extremely expensive to extend. Yeah, no kidding. I brought up the Morgan. I brought up the Morgan sure R- Riley comp what on Friday during the deadline show, and I heard Frank Saravalli talk about it today on on DFO. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean that's that's self-evident. And the other thing was and the Canucks are going to have to, you know, really going to have to move a contract. Yeah. Of course. Like it's not for me what what I what I struggle with is not the certainty of how next season goes cuz I don't have that certainty.
0: Like Thatcher So Danco, I don't mean I have certainty about the record. No, I mean I know, certainty I about what the road forward is totally. going to look like from a process standpoint. Right.
1: Yeah. But the certainty that is locked in, right? is that more pain must occur in order to build a playoff team for next year. Like, more more pain. Like, you're either going to part with additional futures or sweeteners to get off some of the bad money, or you're going to do buyouts that soar your cap situation. And, you know, what, what, what happens when you do that, right? You end up, say, not developing a right-handed defenseman for a decade, and then you need to overpay for one on the trade market. It's like the structure continues to decay and meanwhile we're doing the this is a different team under a new coach storyline for the second time in 12 months i just i really struggle with it i'm really struggling with how to um cover the rest of the season uh particularly because like we know that the draft position is going to be sword like this team's playing the wheels off their best players Right? Like oh, yeah, Quinn Hughes up almost 30 minutes 20, Saturday, 29 20, minutes. But 25 minutes, more than 25 minutes in all of the last five games, right? JT Miller over 20 minutes in four of the last five. Over 25 in two of, uh, or over 24 in two of the five. Elias Pettersson over 21 in four of the last five. Over 20 in all five. Right, like this team is playing the wheels off their best players. I asked Rick talking about it today. Maybe we'll play the audio later in the show, but he did say, like, that's not ideal. It's, yeah. not, it's not like he's changed his mind. He doesn't want to do that. Um but man, like every win they record here is genuinely harmful, but they're playing every game like game seven. Like, from a player usage standpoint, it's not just that Saturday's
0: game was a playoff atmosphere.
1: Every game this team is playing is just, I I find it completely maddening.
0: Yeah. And the schedule really, uh, really eases up a lot now, right? Like the last leading up to that Toronto game or like rounding out with that Toronto game, that was the last kind of really difficult stretch. On the schedule now, you know Nashville. You got Anaheim. Yeah, my 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 it was too late to tank. Take is going to age
1: very well now. Yeah, we'll I think see. I think we know. <laughs>
0: we'll I think see, that's baked in. There were some touch definitely looking that way. There were
1: some touch and go moments. There were, but uh... Andre Kuzmenko <laughs> saved you.
0: <laughs> yes, he did <laughs> with some of those late goals. And- he saved that take. He made sure that it was going to age well. He's <laughs> <laughs> like Drans, I got you. I got you, buddy. I'm looking out for you. Thanks, Andre. Yeah, um, but now loan me some hair, bud. <laughs> so with that in mind as you said it is kind of it's difficult to know what to make of the remainder of this season and somebody texted in uh jared and north fan it's garbage time boys no need to read too much into the win. they need to put in those types of performances consistently next year for me to buy in and i think that's a very very fair perspective i think and and i think fairly expressed yes and not that it, it like not that you should be completely dismissive of the performances but you have no idea what they're going to carry over and mean. Like, it would take a lot over the final 27 games, I think, for people, not just us, but for people generally to really dramatically look at this team in a different light. You know what I mean? Like, it would have oh. to be a, a really, really high level so of performance. Y- you would think that. <laughs> you would think
1: that. but, But do not underestimate the appetite of this organization to cling to
0: false hope and sell it explicitly. But looking beyond this year and starting to look forward to next year, because obviously Patrick Elvin spoke after the trade deadline. We carried that live on the station on Friday. A lot of interesting things to come out of it. You did a very good job asking oh, your questions you. and getting in there. And I saw a lot of uh, a lot of feedback on that. And as a result, <laughs> all positive, all positive, as always. <laughs> and as a result of one of those questions you asked Elvin, I think the, the most important takeaway from that presser was playoffs playoffs next year that is the goal from this point on oh see i thought i thought but he had to be pinned down okay but then he was pinned down to that position sure but i mean so he still
1: took that position i you know one one of the things i remember i actually asked this of jim benning what in his second to last season 2021 over zoom like not in person but one thing that you know i asked him if the playoffs are the goal next year because for me the logic of the heronic trade you know like they've opened up a one-year window around Horonic and petterson like you better be a playoff team next year absolutely have to be and so you know i asked it and i thought he equivocated i thought he was like you know progress and um i thought it was a very gradualist answer so i so i sort of went to follow up this organization needs to aspire to something surely right like Come on, we all know from your moves that the playoffs are the point. Like, wh- wh- why is everyone so afraid to ever put down, like, a marker by which they might be judged and held accountable? Like, why is this organization so allergic to ambition in any form? You know, like, what ab- what happened to, like, one goal or, like, we'll be judged on the playoffs or, like, the way that really good teams and really good organizations talk? Like, there's a fun- – like, there's fundamental building blocks that get you there. You know, there's a journey – I mean, even talk about the journey. It's a journey for us. Right? Like it's it's not about the play it's about but fundamentally we want to win a cup. We would love to make the playoffs next year, but it's it's about growing as a group. We want to see meaningful progress as a group. We want to compete hard every day. We wanna you know, like hammer something down. And and I thought it came out too in the discussion about cap space, which man, there was some there were some whoppers in that availability, but the you know the bar that this organization has set is to be compliant? That's like that's like just existing. Of course you're gonna be compliant. You're an NHL team. We're going to abide by the rules of the league? Like yeah, I know. So is everyone else. That's not the bar, the bar is can you do smart things to turn it to your advantage? The way this organization this organization wrote the book on that fifteen years
0: ago. So okay, now compliance is the bar. Goodness, no more cap cushion. That's not the bar anymore. No more cap cushion. Um, look, okay, even if it wasn't like a full throated, emphatic, this is what our goal is next year. It was still that's where they landed. And I mean, I would certainly anticipate that they're going to move pretty aggressively to try to add to that roster they, for next year to try to make to. the playoffs. They, they have absolutely to. have to. And so, <laughs> what does that mean, though? Like, what, what, like, what does that portend about what to expect? Coming up because with uh, even with Philip Ronick here, like you need at least one more top four defenseman if you're going to credibly call yourself a playoff contender for next year, right? And I think that's even with if if you assume Ethan Bear is back, you need at least one more top four defenseman. You definitely need a center. You 100 percent need a center. Let's be real here. You to
1: even bring Ethan Bear back, you you need to carve out cap space. Right? Like yeah, this team legitimately is going to be functioning in the same way that other capped-out teams do. And, and how do those teams function? They make gut-wrenching decisions. Right? They they trade Oliver Bjorkstrand for cents on the dollar. They incentivize the Chicago Blackhawks to take on bad contracts by trading a second-round pick. And and I'm referring to the Tampa Bay Lightning, giving them Tyler Johnson and a second-round pick to take back Brent Seabrook. You know, they trade firsts to get off of Patrick Marlowe. Like... Contending teams make all manner of brutal decisions. Trades that return very little. This club's going to have to consider all of that. And buyouts. Right? And once you sort of – once you factor – like, that's really the important thing for me to, like, really imbibe, embrace, understand here. Is in order to even build a team that's going to be, you know, maybe a 50% shot of making the playoffs – you know maximum potential next season probably maybe they can get up to 55 60 percent if they're unbelievably good to do that you're still sacrificing like future assets probably a good prospect as a sweetener at some point if you're you know absolutely intent on moving money future cap flexibility like all of it it's just such an unsustainable mode of doing business I, i i
0: honestly i just I tried to be positive today, and this is where I've landed. <laughs> this is the result. Wow. Um, I don't want to hear you on your uh, crusty days. Um, ah, you've, you have I definitely have. <laughs> Sorry, that's every day that ends with why, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday. This one, uh, you know, obviously you look towards the OEL uh, potential buyout. This one, Alvine still believes in OEL. He's not buying him out. I mean, who knows? I would still be a little bit surprised. I, I did think it was very interesting that Patrick Alvine referred to internal and external options to be cap compliant. internal would certainly seem to suggest a buyout whether that's oel whether that's garland maybe another one whatever uh you know it would suggest that buyouts are at least an option if you're not buying out oel becomes really really difficult to clear out the cap space to add to the team even if you do no even if you for sure but like that's step one to clearing out meaningful cap space like, if you accept that they have to go out and somehow add another top four defenseman and, like, bare minimum a good third-line center to be a credible playoff threat, which I think is, like, the absolute bare minimum. I, I would Those add, are expensive propositions. I would add veteran backup. Sure, veteran backup, and I would add, like, defensive forwards. PK help at forward. I, I would add that as well. Now, that's probably your third-line center, too, so maybe that kind of checks b- both boxes at once, but those are not easy propositions to or, add. Or cheap. Exactly. They're not easy or cheap. And so if you don't buy out OEL, I don't know how you're clearing the cap space. It's, you're going to have to be really, really aggressive. And I guess the elephant in the room here is, you know, we haven't talked. We haven't said JT Miller's name once. I don't think in this segment, well, in this every discussion. national and insider look, says I, that he was yeah, he, like, uh, th- I, I don't want, is, I don't want to do a full rehash and postmortem because it's it's me neither. Let me just, I get it. Let
1: me just yeah. lay out the real the facts really quickly. Right. Every national insider in the game says that JT Miller was made available by the Canucks. At the deadline. Rob Rossi, my colleague at The Athletic, a deeply plugged-in reporter with front offices both in Vancouver and Pittsburgh, because Vancouver's front office is from Pittsburgh, reports that it was Vancouver that approached the Penguins. That matches the chatter that I'm hearing from with uh, from around the league. Right? It didn't get done. And so, yeah, we're definitely going to be doing this again come draft time. No question about it. And, and you know, it's too bad. But... That's where we're at. That's that's those are just that's just the facts.
0: And obviously that can editorialize, but and we will. So that's still a potential (laughs) really big number to get off the books. I would still bet on it not happening just because it's a fifty six million dollar commitment. That's all you have to say. It's a fifty six million dollar commitment that they just recently made. It's just very – it's well, it's not impossible, but I would bet against it right now. Now, obviously, and people are, if people, they do move it, that changes the conversation a lot.
1: One last thing. People are vastly overestimating the extent to which the weak free agent class coming up this July, like, changes the valuation of players on bad contracts. Like, from the perspective of most NHL teams, like, operators around the league, the answer to there's no players to sign to bad contracts isn't let's trade for one it's, okay, well, cap space is as our asset, then let's go see if we can find a good player on a good contract or a guy who can be more for us than they are elsewhere and is on an attractive deal. Like, the, the dearth of free agent talent does not create, um, like, uh, does not accelerate the value of players on inefficient contracts. That is absolutely false hope, unfortunately
0: yeah and with j t. Miller again, we all know that it was the penguins they were connected to specifically. who knows how that situation developed yeah, so yeah who knows, could who it be a situation for them who could it be could it be a situation where they revisit? The you know the structure of that trade at the draft Sure but also I think There's a lot of unpredictability in uh, in What's going to happen with Pittsburgh in the future So who knows but yeah that would change the Discussion in a big way it's game Day for the Canucks 730 puck drop Tonight they'll take on the Nashville Predators Here at Rogers Arena we'll get you An update from Morning Skate and hear From Canucks head coach Rick Talkett Plus we're going to debut a new segment On the show which I'm very Very excited about that's coming up next It's Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650
2: Breaking down the biggest trends in hockey, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trantz here live from the Kintec Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online. At Dunbar Lumber Express, or excuse me, at DunbarLumber.com. What am I doing? I messed up the Dunbar Lumber read. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Tough Monday oh, morning you, for you me. You
1: messed it up unintentionally.
0: Or, uh, uh, yeah, unintentionally, unintentionally. As opposed yes. to intentionally referring
1: to them as uh, considering <laughs> <laughs> a chiropractic extension called Dunbar
0: Lumbar. Yes, indeed. Uh, quick update. <laughs> the, the world needs this, by the way. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Somebody's got to do there's it. There's an opening in the market. Dunbar Lumber the market. and Lumbar. Yes. Um, quick update from Morning Skate, no changes to the Canucks lineup based on what they iced uh, on Saturday, and hey, why would you? Like, sometimes you roll your eyes at don't change anything when you win, but don't change anything when you play that well, compared to how the Canucks normally play, so yeah. Why would you change anything? I genuinely would love to see a string of games. Okay. Where it was just like, blender, 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 win no, or lose? No, 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 no. I
1: would love to see a string of games where the Canucks genuinely just compete that hard. Yeah! That's what I'm telling you I just you, man. I just I just want to see that they have it in them. Let's go. You know like here's the here's sort of uh, one of the underlying assumptions that has caused me to often be critical of this club's short-term direction or their insistence on on the short-term direction uh on taking it is I I haven't seen a team that competes hard enough on a regular enough basis. So, you know, I'm I'm absolutely team like l- wins are harmful at this point in the season. Balance your lineup. You know, Demko doesn't have to play every day. Like, do the things that a team in this spot should. Develop younger guys. Take some looks at things. Try some things out. Hughes on the right side. Like, you know, figure some stuff out. Use use these games to evaluate. Do system stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the results. But fundamentally, I'm so... <sighs> Double-edged sword here. Both impressed and Annoyed by how different Vancouver's work rate looked on Saturday, that, like, hey, look, I'd love to see that this team show, like, I'd love to see this team show that they can do it and sustain that level of just, like, competitive steel for 10 games in a row. That would mean something to me.
0: Let's go. I'm here for it. Truly, it would. I am absolutely here for it. Uh, as I said, man, I'm all in. I'm all in on those moments of fun, certainly for the rest of this season. I'm going into next as well. Just one other quick update. Uh, Archer Seelovs will get the start net. He was recalled by the Canucks on an emergency basis. Colin Dealey is out with a non-COVID illness. So it'll be Seelovs in the crease, Demko backing up. Uh, and to talk about that and more, a big chunk of audio from Rick Talkett today.
3: Here is the Canucks head coach. Uh, yes. Yes. Dealy wasn't feeling good last night. Saturday appeared to be one of the most physical games that
2: we've
0: seen. It was a very entertaining game, but that style
2: of play, is that how you want your team to
3: play? Is that the identity you want to not only adopt, but become? Yeah, I think every coach wants your team to play aggressive, but I, I, I'm a response guy, you know. You know, Luke come out with some big hits for their team, and I just love the response. I mean, that's the best thing is uh, – you know, whether it's a hit or make a good play or something to get the momentum back, and I thought, obviously, Mizey doing what he did really ignited the bench.
2: What have you noticed in
1: Brock's play of late? I reckon the sense that he had that great dish to Amon which was great on the forecheck. check froze the goal, yeah. got the puck over, and on his goal, his recent goal, picked the top corner, it kind of looked like the Brock we've seen in the past. What did you notice in his game?
3: I, I, l- I really liked it when I first took over his game. I thought he was one of our better forwards. Yeah. Um, and then of late... Other than the last game or two, he's been you know he's been off, off his game, and I think there's reasons why we've talked about it, and his mind wasn't there. But he's here now, and uh, had a good shot with him today. He knows that uh, he's got to earn his minutes, but offensively, he's got some good instincts. You know, those are the that kind of shot there. You know, that top shelf shot. If he gets one of those two a game, then he can convert. You know, twenty thirty percent of the time, that's that's big for a team. Um, yeah. And then just. You know, the only thing is you got to work on a little bit on the defensive game and a little more pressure every once in a while. Uh, how about Millsy on the forecheck? If he does that, I mean, he's a good he's a good player. He's a very good hockey player, but he's just got to make sure he invests in other parts of his game. What about the feet? Yeah, well, that's something you can continue to work on. That's practice and, and his pace, and that's hockey IQ. You know, uh, some players look like average skaters, but if you have a, 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 good, a good hockey IQ, you look faster. You know, know where the puck's going. You know, um, I think if he increases that which he is i think he's a smart guy i think uh that the feet will uh, follow the brain
2: much different team you're facing tonight than in nashville uh, a lot of changes what do you expecting yeah. tonight
3: well what are they six points out of playoff spot yep. you know uh, i know john hines and you know they're playing desperate you know they got uh, you know, obviously world class. the yossi guy is just a dangerous guy we got to be on our toes that's part of our game plan you know how do you make sure we're above him uh, soros is you know world class go. it's it's a good hockey team and uh you know, they made some changes. Um, trot's coming in, so there's a lot of excitement there. So, like I said, the last game's over for you know. It's a new game for us today.
1: There was a time when Barry might have been in the mix here to be a coach. Yeah. So what do you remember of him
2: as a coach? And now he's becoming a GM, but he was pretty effective. Well.
3: It's just a smart guy. I remember being an assistant coach in Pittsburgh. We went head to head with those guys two, two series in a row, and then the, the next, and then yeah, they they beat uh, the Penguins the next year. I think it was when they won the cup. Just a smart guy. You know, he's. There's certain things that he does that, uh, you know, from afar you look at, you know, oh, I like that, I like that. So he's, you know, he's been in, in the league a lot, a lot of years. He's seen a lot of different systems.
1: Natural fit for him to move into a GM role? But there's knowledge
3: and stuff. Yeah, I, I think sometimes coaches like that, I and mean, he's coached a lot of games. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, nice to, probably for him to be on that chair up there and, and build, you know, be a builder, you know, build his team the way he wants it. Um, it's kind of nice for him to do that.
0: Yeah. What have, you
2: seen? what have you seen from him? And then also, did you want to rest
3: him to, uh, you know this week? Is that part of Yeah, I mean I I don't want, you know, I I think I was telling you guys I don't want this guy running off five, six games. I mean he could. But it, for me, um, you know, i d I'm just conscious of, you know, he just came back from an injury. He's played three, you know, the other game was an intense game. Um he's been solid. he's been terrific, you know. He's just quiet in the net. <clears throat> you know, I like our team we're trying to we're starting to get better at our system but we're letting thatcher see the puck he's not getting those backdoor you know he's, he actually makes some, some backdoor saves but we're trying to eliminate those ones and let him see it you know we have a better chance to win the game if he can see play half the net and uh he's that elite of a goalie the way he plays and he's actually i, I really like the way he plays the puck too i didn't know he was that good of a puck uh, handle on the puck. it really helps us on the breakouts Do you have any injury uh bear had a good skate today uh, so that's a positive <clears throat> you know he puts a couple of those together that i think he'll be in the lineup uh it's it's more of the conditioning for him um he can only do so much with head injury uh with the facial stuff so um i think that's uh it's still work in progress yeah he's coming in tonight so i'm um, anxious to get with him <clears throat> we'll ex- see the extent of the injury it's not not a big injury it's upper body so it's i think it's more of a I don't know if it's a week thing or a day-to-day thing. It's, I, I, I don't know yet at this point.
1: We know the that that's daunting, but what do these games or winning them <clears throat> down the stretch mean to you? What do they mean to the
3: organization? Mm. Well, it's just a, another brick in the foundation, and you know, we're trying to, you know, build something here um, and do it properly. You know, uh, <clears throat> because you win a game, a big game, or you lose a game, you, you don't change your philosophy, I don't think. You still practice the same way. Um, you know, we, we, we have some young guys in the lineup trying to make their mark. we got some minor league guys the, they are trying to make their mark, and we got veteran guys that want to win. So you sprinkle them all in the room, and every day you come in, and you you got to go to work, you know. I expect these guys every day of practice, tape-to-tape tape passes, work hard. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get better. Um, whether you're, you know, where we're, I know where we're at. There's nothing you can do about it, but we, we can control tonight and our effort tonight.
1: You're playing your top players, uh, particular believe 9 40 43 a ton the last five games um i know that's something you wanted to tamp down on originally um is it just a matter of where your club's at with injuries and depth or
3: well i think i owe it to them certain i I think they've responded and uh you know i I think i told you guys some nights they're going to play a lot and uh, you know uh yeah we listen uh, it's my job i gotta find some other guys to get some minutes here and Develop people. That's my job. Um, but I owe it to them. They want to play. And the, there's moments in the game. They're looking back. I want that. You, you want your star players to look back. Get me on the ice. Oh, you know, I want this pressure moment. So, um, But, like I said, I have to, you know, I can't be playing Quinn Hughes 30 minutes every game. Um, so, I'm conscious he had a day off, you know, held a day off tomorrow. So, uh, we'll be conscious of his minutes. But, yeah, we got to, you know, that's why we got Hironic. Yeah. You know, that's why Bear's going to, when he gets back, you know, those minutes will come down.
1: Is it, uh, so it is something though that you look at, Absolutely. whether you're looking at the stat sheets and just being like, I'd love to figure out X, Y, Z alternative.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I and I honestly thought Pod Coles and Kratzoff. I mean, I think where they played 10, or 11 minutes, I got to find a couple. You know, I need more minutes for those guys. <clears throat> you know, Matthews on the ice, and you know, I, I put them out one time just I wanted to see how they did defensively on a faceoff, and you know, Matthews is tough tough to handle. So uh, you know, I, I just I thought I owed it to the team to make sure that we. You know, We put himself in a position to win.
1: How do you evaluate a player like Pod Colson where you watch him and there's great chances, great A chances, but whether it's him or his linemate, they're just not quite going in or he, he yeah. passes every eye test but the production hasn't been there and that's sort of been yeah. the case for him over multiple levels. Is it one of those things where you worry or is it one of those things where you look at a guy who's maybe about to blow up?
3: Um, I look at it that way. I mean, he's, he's close to really putting it together. Um, his practice habits are outstanding. You know, there's some reads he's got. You know, defensively, as a young kid, there's some of the reads are a little bit off. But um, offensively, he's starting to get, get it. And uh, that's just reps. That's a lot of video. <clears throat> that's training this summer, you know, under our watch. You know, like how he's going to train. You know, like, uh, you know, that's another thing we're, we're going to get better around here is the development of our players in the summer where we, we, gotta, we have a handle on them. Um, that's big. You know, Podkoles and Kratsoff, Allman. Or, you know, they, they're in our hands. I think that's big. Uh, for their development this summer. Who looks back on the bench the most? Is it Hughes when he's sitting there and you look? Back yeah, Footy says footy. he. He'll, yeah, he'll look at Footy every once in a while, you know. And uh, but yeah, no. But I, I, I listen. I, I like that. Uh, but then there's sometimes you got to just tell the guy, hey, yeah. watch the game. Okay. You know. So it's a give and take, you know.
1: Sure. Rick, I know you're not, um, or you often say you're not an analytics guy, but usually it's before you quote a stat. Um, your club has created 5-on-5 five five, more scoring chances than you surrendered since you took over the last 16 games. Does that matter to you? What have you seen in terms of your team's game 5-on-5 five five that seems to be causing more of a territorial advantage?
3: Well, my, my biggest thing is coming here is, is that you've got to defend the puck if you want the puck, and I felt it was very loose, and you're not going to win this league if you're loose. But saying that, get, hockey's a game of mistakes. It, to me, it's the duplication of the mistake. We wouldn't make a mistake... And then the next guy would make the mistake on the same shift and said, "Okay, my buddy made a mistake. Let's hold the fort here. You know, we have a really good goaltender in net. Let him see the puck. So you can't always push your chips in every play. You can't hit a home run every play. And that's going to, you know, that's going to take some time to chip away at certain guys to understand that. And I thought, I think the last few, especially the last few games, were kind of, you know, Boston. You know, we're hanging in there. You know, it's a two-one game. Okay, they score the goal. You know, the other night." You know, uh, Dallas, we started to get loose again, and we held on. Like, there's just certain games. You, you know, every game's different. And then Toronto, same thing. The first period, they were kind of all over us, and we kind of hung in there. And then we started playing the second, third. So instead of the game's over, it's four nothing. We've given up, you know, backdoor plays, you know, breakaways, and we're not, we're not, we're not there yet. But we are chipping away. That
0: is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking at length before his team takes on the Nashville Predators tonight. Uh, lots to get into there, and we'll, and we'll continue to dig into some of what he had to say and just talk it and his performance in general throughout the course of the show. But uh, I'm very excited, very excited for this, Strat. So we're going to debut a new segment on the show here, and this will shock you to learn. But occasion, on occasion, on social media, we're in the 650-650 Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, we get people saying that the show is just too dang negative. On occasion, people say, you know, you guys, you're just so, so negative. And this will shock you to learn. I can't speak for you. I don't actually enjoy being negative. Like, my natural instinct is to have fun watching hockey and be excited about hockey in the Canucks. That would be my natural instinct. They just make it hard sometimes. I'm, I'm very much not a negative person in my real life. But (laughs) what we're going to do, partially just to feed that instinct of me, is carve out a little time every day on the show. We're going to do 10 minutes of pure positivity. 10 minutes of pure positivity. Uh, uh, How often often are we doing this?
1: Every day. Every day. Every day! Every day. day. Yeah! So this is like our inverse of the two-minute hate. (laughs) <laughs> yes we're going yes, like exactly. we're going orwell we're t- yeah 10, ten minutes, minutes forced positivity on the airwaves 10 minutes and of this forced positivity just want to shout out every day want to shout out it was my childhood friend kieran who came up with the suggestion and i mentioned it to you i mentioned
0: it to you and you liked it immediately yes so I now, now we're excited. doing it every day i was excited we're, doing, we're doing it every day, day from kieran's <laughs> mind to the airwaves there you just go. like that shout out to kieran uh maybe we'll do it every time at this day I don't know we might have to move it around based on guests but 10 minutes of positivity every day feel free to get your submissions in by the way 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line I'll start and we got this text and I was going to make something along the lines uh this the subject of mine anyways but uh, I believe his name is Todd has bad takes mm-hmm. which is a great name And anyways he pointed out that uh can you guys talk about Quinn Hughes being the fastest defenseman in NHL history to get to two hundred career assists, which he did with his assists on Saturday night. So first of all <laughs> Yeah, we're sleeping on this guy. Eh? Blows my mind <laughs> that like not Bobby Orr. Not Paul Coffey, not Ray Bork. First of all, it wasn't any of those guys to begin with. It was Brian Leach. Or, or a guy or a guy who played a lot of time in the 80s to start their career. Well, that's what I mean. Like, Paul Coffey, Ray Bork. Like, have you seen what those scoring rates were like back then? When have you seen the talent that those guys played with? Yeah. So, I was stunned. Like, that's stunning. To hold that to hold any sort of offensive record as a defenseman compared to those guys is just, like, flat-out phenomenal. As you said, we're sleeping we're sleeping on what Quinn Hughes was doing. I was also just thinking, because we've talked so much about Elias Pettersson, and now we are starting to talk about Quinn Hughes a little bit as well uh, this season. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson on the ice at 5-on-5 five, five, five together with the Canucks. 60%, 68% goals for. No, I know. 68% well, goals for, plus 15. I think it's 28-13 to 13 in those minutes. And just to run you, like, some comparisons between, like, great, no doubt about it, elite duos elsewhere, In the league. McCarr and McKinnon, 63% goals for on ice. Less than Patterson and Hughes. McDavid and Dreisaitl, 54%. Now, it's a down year for them. The Oilers are actually doing better when they're off the ice, which is just totally bizarre. But anyways, uh, Jack Hughes and Dougie Hamilton, 60% of goals for. Aho and Slavin in Carolina, 71%. So, a little bit above uh, the Canucks duo. Kucherov and Hedman, 61.5% goals for. Panarin and Fox, 58%. Jason Robertson, Miro Heiskanen, 73%. Absurd. Uh, goals for share on ice at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, now you can throw out other duos that maybe I didn't include. I purposely skipped Boston because they're just having such an absurd year. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to exclude them. They're in a different league. They're in a different league, so I'm going to exclude them from the conversation. But I would say that you get a, a pretty healthy sampling of the absolute top elite duos in the league. Patterson and Hughes right there in terms of how they influence the game at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, they are having... A true superstar combined effect when they are on the ice for this team. As good as any duo, basically, in the league right now. And you're right. We've talked about Patterson. We're talk- starting to talk about Hughes right now. We have to recognize how special it is what these guys are doing on a night-in, night-out basis for this team. Yeah, they're outrageous.
1: There's there's a real chance that we might be watching – well, sorry. We're definitely watching the best defenseman in Canucks history play right now. But there's a chance anyway – that we're watching also the best center in Canucks history. Uh, all apologies to Henrik Sedin, but like Henrik Sedin wasn't doing this at the age that no. Patterson is. So there's a chance that six, seven years from now, we'll, we'll look back on this and say, holy cow. I mean, the task at hand now is stop bleeding in all the
0: minutes when they're not on the ice. Yeah. Now, I didn't include that stat because we're doing 10 minutes of positivity, but that's we can maybe talk about that later in the show after we're out of the positive zone because that's when the comparison totally. between the duos and those other teams gets really interesting wow. when you look at the off-ice. It gets no, grisly. All right. <laughs> it does get very grizzly. yeah. Y-
1: you heard me ask about the scoring chance clip yeah. with Rick Tockett and the Canucks. So here's my here's my positivity. You'll remember last year... When the Bruce Boudreaux bump led the Canucks to win what? Their first eight, for sure. And I think pick up points in nine of their first Mm ten. And it was roughly that time that I started saying, hey, I don't see much. I see a better PK. And I see a lot of wins. But I don't see a big difference in this team's underlying form. They're generating a little bit more offensively, but it's coming at the cost of their defensive solidity. I don't know. This doesn't look sustainable to me. Well, I'm here to tell you this. It's 16 games, so don't take this to the bank exactly. But Rick Tockett's bump, even though the club's only 500, it hasn't been, I mean, you know, it's better than they were doing before, but it's not been the points in 9 of 10 Boudreaux snow day that we saw last season. Tockett's bump is more meaningful to me. Club's gone from 45% scoring chances in uh, Boudreaux's 47 games or however long that lasted. Uh, to 50-plus percent under Rick target, They're generating more scoring chances and more shots, uh, uh, you know, uh, as a rate stat. They're also surrendering way, way fewer prime chances, way fewer shots. Everything's up. They're generating more, and they're defending better, five on five. If this represents a new baseline for the Canucks, then really you're just like average goaltending and fixing your power play away from penalty kill kill, excuse me away from being in with a shot at the playoffs next year so the rick talk bump through 16 games and granted they've trailed in a lot of those games there's a lot of context that needs to be accounted for no it's not predictive yet don't take it to the bank but to this point the rick talk bump to me is something i'm buying far more than i bought the bruce boudreau bump
0: at this time last year uh 650 650 i think that was a great first edition of 10 minutes of positivity we got some coming into the uh the dunbar lumber text line as well and man you can't have it you can't win no matter what you do chance because this one comes in first of all how can you be positive about the last 10 years this is a gong show organization that's what the other hour and 50 minutes of the show are (laughs) for, right this is 10 minutes of positivity come on come on that's what we're going for. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's and – this isn't exactly positive, but it's close enough. The Hughes record would get way more play if he wore Leafs blue. No love for the West. I mean, I think being on a consistently winning team would do wonders for – uh, the profile of Hughes and what he's doing around the league as well. Right now, uh, this one, Quinn Hughes is just so fun to watch, plain and simple. I wholeheartedly agree with that one. Uh, I love this one because uh, we. Are, I, I knew we were going to get some of the sarcastic ones as well. The Canucks got 970 save percentage goaltending versus the Leafs. If they get that next year, they'll win the cup. <laughs> That's true. That is absolutely true. If you get 970 goaltending, Game in, game out. You are gonna be the odds on, on Stanley Cup favorite, no doubt about that. Uh this one, 10 minutes of positivity. We can imagine how well we would imagine how well we would be playing with Petey and Bedard as our one two. Imagine Saturday night with Connor Bedard on our team. I'm positively looking forward to the tank. I think that counts as ten minutes of positivity. The tank? Day- daydreaming about Connor Bedard? Does that count? No. No? No, because the organization's not leaning into it. Yeah, but you can still dream on it. You can still dream on the odds. I guess. I don't know. I don't think that's very positive. <laughs> you look so unimpressed with that. Like, ah, twist nah. my arm Twist my arm and maybe. No.
1: Butard Bard's what you like, Bedard's not the hope now. The hope is the playoffs next season.
0: Bedard would help though. Bedard. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Bedard would help a awful lot. Like he he is gonna be wicked good right off the bat in the NHL. So I think.
1: I think there's going to be a learning curve five on five, but I think he's going to be like one of the most lethal players in the league five on four mm. immediately. That's my, that's my prediction, my early prediction for Connor Bedard. But yeah, uh, he's also going to be a three and a half win player year one. Oh, he's going to be just
0: absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely no ridiculous. Uh Okay. 650, 650. If you've got any other uh, 10 minutes of positivity takes, let us know in the Dunbar Lumber text line up next. We'll see if Gemma, has anything to contribute to the new segment. Gemma Carsten-Smith uh, from the Canadian Press joins us, as she always does. It's Canuck Talk on Sportsnet 650.
2: Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 here on a Canucks game day where they're getting set to host the Nashville Predators at Rogers Arena. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team. Avenue AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio at Rogers Arena, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We did the the debut edition of 10 Minutes of Positivity uh earlier in the last segment and uh, I love this one we just we invited your comments your thoughts and you know naturally it is Canucks talk you'd expect them to be Canucks related but hey whatever's on your mind and Devin texts in simply I love my mom and that's a great text what a lovely wholesome text from Devin I love my mom too Shout out to my mom, regular listener of the show. Yeah. Hope you're having a great day. My mom also a regular there listener of the go. show. Oh, there you go. That's very nice. Uh, very nice from Devin, I thought. And I love her, by the way. I just, I didn't
1: like. I was like, my mom oh, also yeah. listens. Yeah,
0: yeah, my mom listens too. <laughs> I,
1: I didn't want to feed everyone's theories about why I'm
0: like, uh, why I am the way I am. That's like the <laughs> it has nothing to do with how I was the raised. Mitch Hedberg <laughs> bit where it's like the guy sees him at the airport. It's like, hey, I saw you on TV last night, but he doesn't go on to say. And I thought you were good. It's just like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> why, why, did you, why did you tell me that? You have to add the next part of it. So good. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in, 10 Minutes of Positivity, or otherwise, uh, we will get Gemma Karsten-Smith on the line here. In fact, we do have Gemma Karsten-Smith, who covers the Canucks, for the Canadian Press on the line, as always, on a Monday afternoon. Gemma, how are you?
2: I am good. <laughs> I had to think about that one. <laughs> how are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: great. We just, uh, we just just We just launched a new segment called 10 Minutes Ooh. of Positivity where we're only allowed to talk about positive things for 10 minutes. With,
2: were there any puppy dogs?
0: <laughs> no, no, there weren't. Somebody did text in mm-hmm. saying that they love their mom, which is very nice oh. and very wholesome. So I, I enjoyed that. Uh, do you have a, a positive, sunny thought about the Canucks or otherwise to uh, to contribute before we get into our regular business here?
2: Um, it's warm enough outside today to not wear your winter coat. And that is just... Very good. A- I and can't get my winter coat over my giant belly anymore. So it's like prime for me great day <laughs>
0: perfect timing perfect timing for you Gemma I'm uh, I'm very very excited to hear it that's a strong contribution uh, I'm I'm you're you're exactly right about that one all right so uh as always a very busy week um for the Canucks now I'm going to be honest Gemma to peel back the curtain a little bit normally our producers let me know uh which quotes we're going to feature in your regular <laughs> segment here I'm, I'm flying a little bit blind so I'll let you tee up the first quote that we're expecting to hear
2: Sure. So first off, we're going to talk. Sorry, we're not going to talk to you. We're going to hear from Patrick Alvine. It would be much more interesting if we got to talk to him. Um, So Alvine, we all know that uh, the Canucks didn't have a giant last minute blockbuster deal on Friday, but the Canucks front office was pretty busy over the past few weeks. Uh, Here's the general manager talking about how he's feeling about the current state of his team.
0: We're not happy where we are. I'm happy to
1: see the response from the players uh, since Rick Tocke took over here, what we emphasize on, on on day-to-day stuff, how we um changing the standard and the culture, what it means to become a Vancouver Canuck uh, moving forward here. We still, have, uh, we still have some work to do.
0: So that's especially interesting cause, because it came... Uh, just the day before, you know, one of their best performances of the season uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. What was your reaction to hearing that commentary from Patrick Alvey and Gemma?
2: Yeah, I I think that you have to agree that there's still work to be done with this team. Um, They obviously didn't do um, everything they wanted to do uh, ahead of the trade deadline. It would... If we go back to major surgery, major surgery usually takes a while. This was more like a minor procedure, um, maybe like, I don't know, fixing a broken bone instead of doing a heart transplant. Um, So there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, I think the things that I found interesting about Calvin's press conference on uh, Friday, trade deadline, seems like a long time ago, um, were that uh, he – I'm intrigued by who he name-dropped as being parts of the core of this group. It was interesting to see him uh, include Horanik, who we'll talk about in a few minutes. And it was notable that Besser and Garland were absent. So I think we saw some very subtle clues into um, the work that he believes still needs to be done. But he definitely thinks um, this job is far from over.
1: Gemma, what did you make of Miller's inclusion in that, given all of the national reporting around his availability leading up to the deadline.
2: Yeah, I think that deal that Miller signed is so difficult to move. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think that people can be interested. They can make calls, all of those things. But it's it's just not going to age well. And it probably scared off a lot of teams. Um, we've heard that the Canucks weren't willing to take money back down the road Um, and I think that's that probably killed any uh, any real Miller talk Mm.
0: what do you is that the kind of thing you know we were talking about a little earlier in the show right like could this be setting up a deal at the draft or in the summer I'm still kind of on the mind that it might be too complicated but are we going to revisit this whole discussion again around the draft Gemma
2: of course we are we're going to talk about (laughs) we're going to talk about Miller getting traded until Miller is no longer Canuck Like, that's just the way it is. Um, But I'm going to stand firm on this one. I think that that deal is really, really hard to move, especially uh, not knowing where the salary cap's going to be next season. Um, Who knows? Maybe two, three years down the road, it's it's a little less um, arduous. But at this point in time, I think um, he's a Vancouver boy.
0: Uh, in conversation with Gemma Carson-Smith of the Canadian Press here, uh, doing our Off the Wire segment, talking about some of the most interesting quotes from the Canucks over the last week. Who's up next for us, Gemma?
2: We're going to hear another one from uh, Mr. Alvin, uh, whose biggest uh, piece of business last week was picking up Ronick uh, for that first round pick that the Canucks got from the Islanders in the Horvat deal. And they also they, um, also traded away Vancouver's second round pick in this year's draft. Uh, let's hear what the GM thinks of the new addition.
1: The way we want to play, the way we want to create an identity here of playing fast hockey, um, the skill we have up front, it, it's re- inquiring uh, the puck to get up the ice and, and preferably on the tape too. Uh, uh, Philip is a, is a two-way defenseman that over the last couple of years, I uh, would say, established himself as a top-end defenseman in the
0: league. So the the part that stands out to me, and there's a lot to get into there, Gemma, but the preferably on the tape, you can sense the frustration from Patrick <laughs> Alvian that his current defense core is not able to do that consistently.
2: Yeah, it's not their best uh, skill, I would say. No, no, uh, not. Accuracy, not, not great. Um, but yeah, it, he's right. That is what you want. And I mean, like, Kronik's a good player. The Canucks needed to get a right-shot defenseman. For me, it's the timing and the price that raise eyebrows. And I think a lot of people in this market have said that. I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. Is he going to improve his defense core? Yeah, he is. But is that what you need right this moment? Questionable.
1: Gemma, with the passing in particular, the breakouts, um, feels like that's a conversation that we've been having for 18-plus plus months, and yet the club went into this season with the same defense corps, despite having six months, you know, at the helm to, to make changes. Um, how, how do you explain that? What, what do you think the thinking was there?
2: Um, I think the thinking was that they couldn't get anything done in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it was just, I, I'm sure they tried. They must have tried, right? They tried. Mm-hmm. Um, they did. They I did think... try. I mean, <laughs>
1: they were in on the likes of Marino and company.
2: but Yeah, exactly. But it's, like I just said, the, with the salary cap, getting anything done has been very difficult the last, what, 18 months, maybe since the pandemic even. Um, but they they knew that the defense was going to be a problem. I don't think they knew the defense would be so bad this year. They thought that they could score enough and rely on Dempco enough to cover up the issue of the blue line, and they were just wrong. So – I think that's what this entire season has boiled down to thus far is they couldn't outscore their problems. They didn't have Demko playing at his very best and then not at all for three months because he was injured. So that's what happened. That's why it's, it's not that the defense was um, a surprise. Everyone expected it to be bad. We've been saying since training camp that yeah, this defense still needs work. Um, It's that the other parts that they expected to be so much better um, especially in terms of goaltending, haven't been there.
0: So the heroic deal, as you said, the timing and the price are, are what you know most people seem to have concerns with. And from my perspective, now that you've paid the price for that player who's, you know, on that contract, not even just from a thinking about the players and the coaching staff, but how much pressure now is on management to make sure that there's a competitive and, and potentially a playoff team on the ice next season?
2: For sure. Um I, I, I definitely think there's pressure. I think that uh, Alvin was um, uh, reluctant to say that the uh, team will be a playoff team next year, uh, despite what um, one intrepid reporter from The Athletic uh, <laughs> tried to pressure him into. Uh, <laughs> you were just asking good questions. They're good questions. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely pressure, especially with Pedersen's deal current deal and um, the question mark that hangs over that. I, I get why they did it. It's not a huge surprise, but it's just like a bit of an eye roll because it's like, Oh, here we go again. Like there was so much promise in having two first round picks. And even, even if that ends up being two, two first round picks next year, it could even be better. Cause we don't know um, what the Islanders will look like next year. But uh to see that hope and that potential evaporate so quickly is everyone. I think that's where everyone's going. Ugh, not again.
0: Yeah. The familiarity plays a, a big, big role. And I think you're absolutely right about that. Gemma. All right. Who's the, uh, who is the source for our third quote of the week?
2: Next up, we've got Mr. Quinn Hughes. Um, so we all know that this, this team wants to build around some of its young stars particularly Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson. so let's listen into what Hughes thought about um, some of the moves the front office has made especially when it comes to the heroic acquisition
1: I mean obviously we don't want to be here for a rebuild and have to wait and do all that so yeah I mean I think that we've been playing better hockey in the last couple games and our structure has been better and um, we're missing a couple guys and having back's huge I mean he's you know, probably the biggest um, part of our team. I mean, when he's making saves like he was against Dallas, if we had him the whole season, who knows? But um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think we're, you know, crazy far out um, of competing and, and doing well. So for them to do that, it's obviously encouraging, and um, we just got to keep doing our jobs and trying to play hard.
0: We don't want to be around for a rebuild. How much, if at all, do you think that fear? Uh, and specifically how Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson and maybe Thatcher Demko would react to a rebuild motivates what we're seeing from management right now, Gemma.
2: Huge. I think that's a huge part of it, honestly. I think it's a lot less to do with what fans think and um, potentially even what the front office thinks. I think it's a lot more about the players and the ownership. Um, We all know that Aquilini wants to get his dad a Stanley Cup, and that's very admirable. Um, I don't know that the lineup as it, I actually, I do know, I know that the lineup as it is, is not going to contend for a Stanley Cup. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think that's a huge part of it is that they want to keep these young guys interested in, in being here and tell them, have something to say, Hey, look, we just got so-and-so, um, he's going to come in and slot into this lineup and make us more competitive. That should make you want to stay. Right. Right.
1: Jemma, do you think players care how the sausage gets made?
2: I don't think they care how the sausage gets made in terms of what the pieces are, like what entrails go into that casing, but they want to know <laughs> that it's going to be a good sausage in the end. Mm. Like they, they want it to be juicy, right? They <laughs> they want it to be something that Flavorful. is really... <laughs> Players love fennel. <laughs> they yes, yes. I don't know. Maybe some apple smoked something. I don't, sure, I don't sure. I don't know. But they they want it to be something that they can really like get into and and be interested in. Right? Like they they're not they're not looking for some dry like um, bottom of the bin almost expired, um, dirty dirty meat. <laughs>
0: Well, they don't want to wait. They don't want to be waiting at their table in the restaurant for hours. I, guess, I think that's probably the more pertinent thing. It's not so much how how, uh, how the sausage is made, but what timeline the sausage arrives at.
2: Yeah, but but they want the product to be edible, you know? Like, they want it to be something that they can see themselves consuming and, and participating in to really torture this metaphor. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah. They ha- they- if you keep giving them the same garbage that they've been eating for the last 3 years they're mm. they're not going to believe that no matter what the timeline that you're going to serve up something tasty
1: well here's my question right is like does does acquiring philip Hironik convince players on the fence that about of your vision and direction or do you fundamentally need to deliver wins regardless of what you did at the deadline? Like, Does it actually matter to buy versus sell? Or does it matter to, to be able to sell a vision and have the confidence of those players that if they commit to you, you'll get them somewhere
0: worthwhile?
2: <laughs> your yeah, I agree. I think that, I mean, winning, what's the saying? Winning solves everything. Um, mm. they, they That's what they need in in the end, right? Like they need to see when they need to see a win like they did on Saturday, right? And you're going up against one of, one of the top teams in the East and, and you play hard and, and you show that you can do this. But I, I think that you need what players need is some consistency. I think what they don't care about is who or what assets you trade in order to get that result you know they don't they they care who they're playing alongside and they care about getting wins they don't care how you get there like you're mortgaging the farm don't care i I care about the here and the now and the wins
1: yeah and i fundamentally think they don't care about the semantic debates we have on the airwaves about a rebuild versus a retool right like that is not the context which how could they in which that huge quote (laughs) is being delivered by the way i just want to get a plug in before i hand it back to jamie for our next question a plug is a plug in I, of course, today in the Canucks locker room made a beeline for Elias Pettersson and, and put Hughes' quote to him to get his reaction. Um, you can read about that tonight or first thing tomorrow in The Athletic.
0: Uh, very good, getting the plug in. But while we have a guest on, yeah, sorry, <laughs> it's all right. that's all right, that's uh, all right. Just be- just before we move off of Quinn Hughes, but on a little bit different tack on on Hughes, uh, he sets the NHL record, fastest defenseman to 200 assists of all time on Saturday. He is having a an exceptional offensive season, and I think the two way results have really started to come over the last couple of months as well. Are we paying enough attention to what Quinn Hughes is doing on the ice this year, Gemma?
2: No, we're not. The end. He's he's <laughs> the second le- he's the second leading scorer on the team, and we don't even talk about it, right? Like that's yeah. crazy. He has more points than JT Miller. Like that's 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 bananas. But that's also not surprising from Quinn Hughes. We've come to expect him to be superb offensively, um, and that's not the last record he's going to break. Like I will write that in stone he's 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 an exceptional elite defenseman in this league he's going to continue to grow into his game he worked hard on his offense this season or this offseason sorry and I think that he's still mad he doesn't have more goals I think if he doesn't get to double digits he's gonna like I don't want to blow a gasket because that's not true I
0: think that's, he's going that doesn't to Doesn't really like, seem like a Quinn Hughes thing to blow a gasket No 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 no
2: no I think I think that he will like I don't know has some major surgery to his game in the off season to try and, and find a way to uh, create more goals. Cause I think while 54 assists is incredible and most defensemen in this league would be like, yep, very happy. I think he, he wants double digit goals so badly.
0: All right. So hit the, hit the over on the Quinn Hughes uh, shot total props for the rest of the year is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last one. Who's uh, Who's our final quote of the week?
2: All right, guys. Let's move on from trade deadline. That's enough of that. Um, it's like three days ago. So, let's chat <laughs> a, so three days ago. Um, let's chat a bit about that hockey game that we watched on Saturday. Here's a uh, coach Rick Tockett talking about why it was important for his team to show up in a big way against the Leafs.
3: It's not just play out twenty games and let's wait for next year. It's these are these are important games. You know, we have to. You know, we, every day we come in, we're trying to become a team that we want to be, and. Um, you know, we can't waste practices, and You can't waste games.
0: Yeah, we were talking earlier in the show, Gemma, like it's great to see those performances. I also don't know how much stock to put into them when they come after the team has basically been eliminated uh, from playoff contention. What's your impression of, of performances like we saw on Saturday?
2: Oh, for sure. I At toddler art class this morning, someone was saying that they had tickets to the game tonight. I was like, ooh. Um <laughs> I, I, I hate to tell you that it's probably not going to be the same game that you watch on TV on Saturday. Like, it's just so those performances are so few and far between that you can't count on it. It's, it's an aberration. It's not the, it's not the usual, right? Like, and I want that to be the usual. That's way more fun to cover. They were just bumped in in the dressing room after that game. There were so much more fun to talk to. Like, and it was just entertaining hockey. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to be writing about on a daily basis. I Doing this like Death March is not fun for anybody. So I want them to win. I want them to look competitive. I want them to be fun. Uh, and I really hope we get a, a few more of those down the road here. Do
0: you take
1: positives from a work rate heavy performance like they put in on Saturday against the Leafs? Or do you watch it and think, why is this team holding out on us?
2: um depends if I'm being optimistic or pessimistic so probably the latter um <laughs> I, they have it's hard when they have those moments because it it just kind of feels like you're being cheated at other times like you can do this against them and this and you're giving me another six five loss like come on come on people um you're you're hanging demquote to drive for a 17th breakaway like it's but we didn't see that on Saturday. We didn't see the breakaways. We didn't see the all, all the insane backdoor chances. We we saw a team that like actually played defense, and it was very surprising.
0: Gemma, that was fantastic as always. Uh, I, I hope you're able to avoid any bottom of the bin clearance sausage in your future. <laughs> only get the real premium stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying. Yama
1: only sausage. for for Gemma. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys.
0: thanks Gemma. Appreciate it. Bye. That is Gemma Carson-Smith with the Canadian Press. A couple texts coming in. Nick saying, uh, I'm so hungry now, I'm going to have to go straight to the deli. And this one, I was literally eating sausage when Gemma said, quote, dirty sausage and almost choked from laughing. (laughs) So hard. (laughs) I got to be honest, I had some great great bratwurst on the weekend. Delicious. (laughs) Delicious. Who doesn't love that? I got called to Brad about eighteen times this weekend <laughs> on Twitter, and that was those are the nice ones. <laughs> yeah, um, 650, 650 is the Dumbart Lumber text line. Shout out to uh, Gemma Carstens, and shout out to Kibasa. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> more and more people are saying it. Shout out to Kibasa. <laughs> Final segment of the show coming up. A couple more things that we want to get into, and you can keep getting your thoughts in as well. It is Canucks talk on Sportsnet six fifty.
2: Kibasa forever. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet. 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. live from the Kentech studio at Rogers Arena. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dumbbarlumber.com.
1: Text in from Jesse from Bear Mountain that I think is an interesting one. Drance, what would Alvin, and I'm just going to supplement in the Canucks, what would the Canucks yeah. have to accomplish this offseason to instill some faith in you that they can actually build a contender without rebuilding? And for me, truly, I think that – Ship has already sailed because it's process stuff, right? It's like you're already backed into a corner where you haven't done the disciplined strategic things to set up buying Horonic. right? Like, l- let me give you an example. The Montreal Canadiens, I forget if it was a first or and a second or if it was just the first, mm-hmm. but in any event, they had five draft picks in the top four or, sorry, five draft picks in the top two rounds of the draft last year, and they used one or two of them to buy Kirby Doc, And that made sense because they still came out of it with, like, Lane Hudson and two first-rounders and on and on, right? This team didn't set themselves up to have the salary cap space to responsibly bring in guys like Beauvillier, Hironik, and extend Kuzmenko, right? They they also extended Brock Passer. They also extended JT Miller. In free agency, they bought Ilya Mikheyev, right? Like, they haven't had the discipline to set themselves up to make the win-now moves. They also haven't built the surplus draft capital to do, to do it. You know, in a world where the Canucks had done the Horvat trade times two, right? They dealt Miller and mm-hmm. Horvat, so you don't have the Miller— um, contract done, right? You either do a qualifying, like a one-year qualifying deal with, with Brock Besser or walk away or, you know, you do the three years but you've at least set him up to be a regular on Power Play 1 where he's going to play tonight, by the way. It looks like Bovillier on the PP2. So the Canucks look like they're finally sort of putting the gears in motion to give Besser the showcase. They're probably going to need him to have if they're going to try and move that deal for anything like uh, not negative value this summer. But if they'd done stuff like that, kept cap space free, right? Instead of signing Mikheyev, you sign Obey Kubel, who's nowhere near as good. Like, don't get me wrong, but at least it's one year, one million. Sure. And as we've seen, if you make a mistake at one million or 1.3 million, Riley Stillman, Curtis Lazar style, you can fix that really easily. It's the expensive ones that, that sort of tie you down. If they'd set themselves up with surplus cap space and surplus draft picks, then, when you do the Heronic deal, it's like, man, that's a legacy of empty cupboards. <laughs> empty cupboards, as uh, as it were, right? Like, then, that's the cost of doing business, but the team's still well set up. They haven't done that. It's like they haven't been able—this they, organization remains allergic to making a single tough decision ever. You
0: know? Yeah, they they want to have it all. Somebody texted in earlier— uh, how much will your outlook change if they trade Miller at the draft? And it's I, too I'll, late. Look, I still think if you trade Miller before his no trade clause kicks in, like that's still the thing you should do.
1: What if you trade him with retention?
0: Okay, that's a whole different discussion. What if
1: you trade him with ret- retention and have to attach a sweetener?
0: That's a different. That's a different conversation. If they had gone through the last the deadline week and moved Miller. Right in something like the rumored Penguins deals, whatever, yada, 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 we don't have to go over them, and moved Miller, and even had done the Hornick deal, it's like, okay, that's interesting. But now,
1: or haven't done the Hornick
0: deal, let's even say. But now, if they did move Miller, even if they didn't retain, my assumption would be that they're reinvesting that money right away on July 1st. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't necessarily move the needle for me at this point, like it would have pre-trade deadline.
1: And you'd have to compare something very similar to the Horvat price, right, to what they actually end up getting, and consider that the opportunity cost of finishing bottom five or bottom seven or eight in the league anyway, right? Like, f- for what? They killed all that value. You know, and, and even before the deadline had passed, even before the day of the Horonic deal, we were discussing the Canucks moves at the deadline yeah. so far, and I was expressing concern that they hadn't, demonstrated the sort of understanding of how to utilize cap space that I think you need to have or you're dead in the water you know if you're aiming to just be a playoff team you're aiming for average right and the problem with hockey is it's so variable that it's hard to accomplish your goal right there's only one of 32 teams that's going to win the Stanley Cup of any year there's like 10 teams that are really good nine of those 10 teams are going to fall short I tend to think like the best laid plans in hockey don't tend to work out mm. some will work out better than you intended some won't and you're never likely to reach your goal. You're never likely to get 100% of the way there. But if your goal is the very top, you might still produce, you know, seven, eight years of really fun hockey. If your goal is 16th, you're going to be 20th. You're going to be 21st, most well, likely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, but the, 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 the variance goes both ways,
1: though. The days of lucking into a playoff berth, I think, are, are very nearly at an end.
0: Ah, uh, I don't know about that.
1: Okay, who's lucking into a playoff berth this year?
0: Yeah, I don't know about lucking in, but, like, couldn't you say that – L.A. is at a ton of help from Calgary, right? From Calgary, just absolutely disintegrating around them. You but know what I mean?
1: But they're they're like safely in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, they are. I don't know. I, I they're they're safely I in the playoffs. Stu- I gaming. still think that they, they've
1: been they've had a ton of bad luck in that their goaltending That's completely combusted, and they're still
0: this safely in the this playoffs. This isn't a defense of the Canucks, the path that they have chosen, but it's not hard for me to believe that Patterson, Hughes, Demko, Khrunic can make it into a into a
1: one spot. of those names is not like the it's, other Jamie I know, I are know. you
0: kidding me that that's that they can make it into a playoff spot again that's not saying and therefore I'm, it's a good move but it's not hard for me to picture the road to how that happens I think
1: seven eight years ago the NHL had like seven sharp teams and every year there was you know three or four teams that didn't make the playoffs the year before that are going to make the playoffs this year and it was like one team gets hot one team gets hurt now I think there's 20 smart teams <laughs> like, there's so much competition, and and we're seeing, you know, the cap was supposed to create, like, year-over-year parity like we get in the NFL. And I don't think it has. I actually think it's created haves and have-nots. And the, those haves and have-nots used to be, under the old system, those teams that could spend and those teams that couldn't. And now the haves and have-not have-nots are the Sharps and the Whales. And the Canucks remain a Whale franchise. Like, this is a Whale franchise. Um, I just don't know that you can Durably win that way Uh, Process wise I have seen nothing that demonstrates That the Canucks have even put down a shovel Or considered it Even considered putting down a shovel for a minute I I think it's going to be really tough Really tough for them to compete
0: in the, even in a South Pacific division next year. Uh, I wanted to read this one from uh, Terry Y. To maybe I, I'm going to say wrap up the sausage talk, but who knows? Maybe more sausage uh, related text will come in. But I enjoyed the metaphor from Terry Y. Who says if your sausage rep- recipe already starts with a mix of prime cuts of meat interspersed with an inordinate proportion of gristle laden chuck, and the banquet is imminent. Your budget is maxed and you are limited in your options. Declaring bankruptcy or a second mortgage are not tenable options. Creative genius is what you're left with. High risk proposition, yes, but you play the cards, you're dealt. That is from Terry Y. And I love it because it makes it sound like an episode of Chopped. You know what I mean? You're dealing with these extreme constraints in terms of the ingredients on hand, except on the time and all of it. It's like, okay, make a masterpiece right now. Except
1: on chopped, the answer is always when a dish is going sideways. It's like everything was going sideways, so I threw it in the deep fryer, (laughs) and then I made a taco, and then and then they get to the judge, and it's like, tastes a little charred, but I love the creativity. It's not that creative to make a taco chop, judges. That's like chop judges complimenting a chef for making a taco every time. They say it's creative. It, it The only thing on TV that was more repetitive that bothered me more, and and I say this with due respect because I loved him and he's a Canadian icon, but when Alec Trebek ans- told people when they'd gotten the wrong answer on Jeopardy, mm-hmm. when he said it like he knew it,
0: he always like had this tone. It was like,
1: I don't know if you knew that, Alec.
0: Incredible. Uh, but anyways, I just really enjoyed that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Inordinate uh, whatever whatever it was. Uh, Gristle Chuck, that was fantastic from, from Terry Y. Uh, Brandon Vancouver texts in, if we got one of the other elite talents available in the top five, does that meaningfully change your outlook for the team? That one comes Sorry, in like from Brandon at in Vancouver. at the top of this draft. At yeah, the top of the draft, I believe he means, yeah. So,
1: I mean – <laughs> to some extent, yes.
0: Well, like, like it has to. Uh, right. So,
1: so Bedard does. Yeah, Bedard definitely does.
0: I think even the next tier, two guys it do. Does
1: two guys do below Bedard, and that's, I mean, sorry. I think I think Bedard does for sure. Fantilli does maybe. Leo Carlson does for me, but your mileage may vary. I'm getting increasing number. Of like talent evaluators whose opinions I really respect, dropping things like Kopitar comps on Leo Carlson, Carlson which like they this is not like HF boards. Like I'm I'm talking like very serious, experienced talent evaluators How
0: dare you? No, what
1: I like HF boards, and <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Throwing
0: huh? HF boards under the bus. no. I'm just
1: saying when like someone in your Twitter feed says, yeah, 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 yeah. or no, even even when me, yes. even when I'm like Zach Benson's like Braden Point, yeah. It's like, take that with a grain of salt. I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm not an amateur talent evaluator. When the people I'm talking about drop Kopitar comps on Leo Carlson, that's that's something to take seriously. So that guy may be too. Yeah. At the end of the day, I still think this team's short on elite talent. That's part of the issue.
0: Yeah, and so I wanted to bring this up, actually, because I ran through the numbers with Pedersen and Hughes on the ice and how dominant they've been at five-on-five five and compared to some of some of the other top duos – Uh, around the league and they match up really really favorably now I put this out on Twitter uh, before the show and I immediately the first response I got almost instantly was well what happens in all the other minutes when they're not on the ice and it's a very very fair question and just to run it through again now that we're out of the 10 minutes of positivity so they're plus 15 28 goals for 28 or sorry 28 goals for 13 goals against when Pedersen and Hughes are on the ice that's a 68 percent goals for percentage in all other minutes. So when neither Pedersen or Hughes are on the ice, the team is at 36%. That's a minus 33. So giving it all back and then some uh, when you look at it at 5-on-5. Five five. And that's really the biggest difference between the Canucks and all of those other teams that I was talking about. Like, you go through the list. Okay, so the Avalanche, really good with McCarr and McKinnon on the ice. forty 47% of goals scored when those two are off the ice. Injury,
1: injury context had a lot needs of injuries. to be taken they into account. Are, right? here, yeah.
0: McDavid and Dreisaitl, this was an eye-popping one. 54% of goals when they're on the ice. Edmonton scoring 55% of the goals when those guys are off the ice. Jack Hughes and Dougie Hamilton. Very good sign
2: for those guys. <laughs> yeah, New Jersey. Cow.
0: 60% with them on the ice, 50% off, 57% when they're off the ice. Very, very little. Drop Wagon. Off because they have Wagon. Like they have other guys who are capable uh, of really driving play on that team. Well, and they have Dawson
1: Mercer, who scores every single game as <laughs> yes. their third line
0: center. Yes.
1: My goodness.
0: Aho and, uh, and Jacob Slavin. 60% goals for Carolina when they're off the ice, right? Kucher. 60? Yeah. When they're off the ice. (laughs) The Carolina
1: Hurricanes barely make sense. It's
0: amazing. Panarin and Fox, the Rangers still score 49% of the goals when those guys are off the ice. Robertson and Heiskanen, 51% when they're off the ice. So every other team on that list, yeah, the high is really, really high when their best players on the ice, and that's part of what makes them great. But the supporting cast is basically breaking even, at least at the very bare minimum. And if you're a truly elite team, you're still running teams out of the building when your elite guys are off the ice. But they're at least breaking even, and that's where the Canucks fall so short. And I think the thing is, it's not just about, okay, well, you need a better third line center. That's true. Like, they need to have a better bottom of the roster, but you also need to have those other probably two three players that are really, really capable of taking hold of a game. You know what I mean? Like, you need that other duo behind Pedersen and Hughes – to step up and have a 55% goals for share something like that you need that next wave of high end talent to kind of buttress the minutes that are happening when when Peterson yeah Peterson and Hughes are off the ice cuz right now the team is just getting absolutely shredded and look will Hronik help yeah sure but you know wh- like what are what's the Hronik and Miller on the ice together number going to be next year cuz it has to be really good for yeah. this team to have a playoff shot
1: well so I mean, we talked about it a little bit the other day where, you know, Hughes on ice versus off ice, right? And and I just looked at it in terms of the Canucks are winning Quinn Hughes' minutes, right? And and mm-hmm. losing badly the non-Hughes' minutes. And I, I think the numbers, uh, yeah, this was as of last week, so not factoring in the Toronto game, yeah. plus 19. Although I don't think there were any 5-on-5 goals in the Toronto game. Two well, shorties, two power play goals.
0: Yeah, well, the Oman one was 5-on-5. Uh, wasn't it, was it not? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So
1: one, one five and yeah. on five goal. Anyway, it was plus nine, plus nineteen with Hughes on the ice in the thousand minutes, which is really good, elite, and minus forty three in the two thousand non-Hughes minutes. Right? That's where that's where the hockey case for paying a premium to get a guy like Hironik really comes to bear and becomes
0: you know potentially impactful. Right. Like just stabilize those non-Hughes minutes. If so the can.
1: but the question becomes and di, uh, did you read Harmon Dial in the Athletic today? Yeah, really good piece. The question becomes: Can Philip Peronik drive single handedly a second pair and and truly drive right? Like, because the Canucks are going to be pressed up tight against the cap, you're probably not going to be in the Gavrikov market without opening up significant cap space to do it. You might still have Oliver Ekman Larson there, right? Like. You don't know exactly what it looks like, but you're really going to need him to carry a pair in, in a similar way to what Quinn Hughes does on the top pair. Now, he's going to be doing it in a slightly lesser role, but nonetheless, it's a big ask. And, you know, I, I don't think it's like an unequivocal for sure he can carry a second pair. I think he can be a good second pairing defenseman if you get the right partner for him, but finding that partner... I don't think that's going to be an easy task for the Canucks' Oh, it's off-season. going to be extremely
0: difficult. I don't know that Gavrikov is that partner.
1: Like, Gavri- he's he's Ga- better than OEL. Ga- Gavrikov and Hronik don't, between them, have the sort of bite that I suspect Rick Tockett wants.
0: Let's live in this world where they're going after, they have the cap space and they're going after Gavrikov. Hughes, and I, I I really like Hughes, obviously. I also like Hronik. I'm kind of whatever on Gavrikov. That's not a physically imposing top four you're building. No, like that's a very very soft top four, physically soft, not necessarily in terms of work ethic or anything like that. You're word no mine. Yeah, yeah. But the <laughs> absolutely the actual physicality of it. Yeah. And the size, like, I don't. That doesn't sound like a Rick Tocket team to me. Now Gavrikov is obviously better than OEL, and if you're if you're just trying to improve your team and add value or, or add talent, sure, then you do it, I guess. But it also doesn't sound like. It just sounds like, again, you're settling for this very, very imperfect solution because that's what the moment demands. You know what I mean? Rather than going out and actually trying to find the piece that would fit long-term with Roenick or fit long-term on the other side uh, with Quinn Hughes, it's just kind of, hey, this guy's a UFA. We need him right now, so we'll sign him, even though stylistically he doesn't make sense. We'll see what happens He's a good
1: player. I mean, he can safely eat minutes for you. I just, you know. Anyway. The the heroic gamble makes sense from the perspective of the Canucks addressing those non-Hughes minutes and, and finding a way to at least, you know, it, it, if he can come in and just help you be zero, right, 50% in, like, an additional 1,000 minutes. Huge. Massive. Now you might be a 50% goals four or five on five team, and with this team's power play and this team's goaltending, you know, you just need to be livable on the PK, and you should – you should be a a ninety plus point team. So I I mean you at least have a director out there, but it's still asking a lot. Horonic needs to be able to drive a second pair. Yeah, that's that for me. Like from from a short term hockey perspective, does this deal work? That to me is going to be sort of you know I don't want to use like the word decisive, but like the key bet from a Canucks perspective.
0: And I think that really puts the OEL thing in perspective, not just from a cap management point of view, but from a hockey point of view, right? Mm. I don't know if you can trade, you can give up that package for Philip Ronek and then ask him to come in and pair him with Oliver Ekman Larson. And I don't know if you can pair and if you can keep Oliver Ekman Larson around and play him on the third pair at that salary, right? Like, so almost from a salary cap perspective, but also just from a hockey perspective, you kind of need to find a way to to move off from him. Like, that's a really tough ask. If you're asking Ronek not just to drive his own pair, but to do it with, This version of Oliver Ekman Larson that we've seen this year as his partner. That's a really, really tall order.
1: Well, and I mean, there's no, like, there's an NMC there, right? So you're really looking at a buyout then, and that's not an attractive option either, especially for an organization that tends to be extremely hesitant to exercise ordinary course buyouts, Um, (laughs) tends to be pretty hesitant to use compliance buyouts. So, you know. it's going to be a very tricky spot of business for this management group to put together a, a, like a, a good team, even a coin flip, flip playoff team this offseason. and frankly, frankly, and you know, I'm, my view of it is I don't see how it's doable without the team inflicting further pain on itself in terms of either clouding their future cap sort of picture, uh, limiting their future flexibility and and this is the, this is the toughest part trading the futures that ultimately this club needs to avoid being in the spot where you have to overpay for a heroic
0: five, six years down the road. Uh, this text comes in from rager 650, 650 it was a Dunbar lumber text line. What do you guys think of Halford and Bruff talking about the possibility of the Canucks trading this year's first round pick? If it doesn't end up in the top five. And I saw that the guys on the morning show were saying, Hey, be ready for this possibility. I'm of two minds about this, because on the one hand, you look at it and you look at the track record and the fact that they just traded a really, really high value pick. That this team, different management group, but same ownership, uh, traded the number ninth, the number nine pick for Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland. Is there a possibility that it could happen? Absolutely. I also, though, think to the conversation you and I were having and you saying that Alvin kind of had to be pinned down to saying we want to make the playoffs next year. That's our goal. Like that's out. You, you're not wriggling around making the playoffs if you trade a top ten pick at this year's draft. You know what oh, I mean? I already so, think I, you already shouldn't be. But you're but y- you're making it absolutely clear cut. No semantic debate. No argument that that's what your goal is. You're heaping a ton of pressure onto yourself if you do that move. Now, is there a possibility that you know a trade comes along that makes them decide it's worth it to accept that pressure? And to say, all right, we have to do it. But like having already traded the Hronik pick, if you make that deal, boy, oh boy, that is a ton of pressure you're putting on yourself. You're putting on the team. So I would bet against it. I don't. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just think I I, I, I would I would be pretty surprised if they ultimately end up moving it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's likely, but here's
1: where here's where you get into. Here's like the process by which a team gets there right you you talk to other teams about your players right you don't have a huge list of targets frankly for this team based on the cap pressures that they're going mm. to be facing right this is where you get into the world where Tanner know ta- costs what Tanner know costs because you're not incurring any opportunity costs trading xyz because you can't trade X, Y, Z for Tarasenko. You can't afford Tarasenko. You need the $1 million guy, or, or in the Canucks case, you know, maybe it's a little more than that, but it, their target list is not going to be big. And they don't have a ton of super high-value assets, right? I mean, you get very quickly to, like, Hoagland or Podkolzin, and it's really hard for me to see the organization trading affordable labor now, given, given their cap situation, right? Like, that, that's that got to be a non-starter or pretty close to it. Certainly, it's going to be with Pod Coles, and we'll see with Hoaglander. And so, if you don't have the assets you need to do the win-now trade you need, that's how that first-rounder becomes something you have to consider, right? Because that becomes your best trade chip. So, I'm not saying... I agree. I think your assessment's right. It's unlikely, but I I, I get why Bruff is and although he didn't have the uh, sad club spin
0: on it, is kind of you know dreading <laughs> that eventuality. Yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. No, like. I'd have to go through, but you know, we heard there it hey, has to be. Once... They're calling and asking about young centers out there. Obviously, we saw them prioritize a relatively young right-handed defenseman. We know they've talked about centers the same way. Like theoretically, is there a quote-unquote young center who would justify trading that pick? Probably, that probably exists. Would the other team play ball? Yada yada yada. Who knows? I I think it's unlikely, but I I can imagine the scenario where it would be a thing. Well, but it's not just a young center; it's a young
1: center at the right contract. Yeah. Right? Like that that's where that's where you get into really quickly once you become a win now team. Like once you become a team that's carrying itself with the short term in mind and is capped out and doesn't have a ton of assets. I mean, it's very it's amazing how quickly that becomes something you have to consider to accomplish what you want to accomplish.
0: That's it for us today. Enjoy the game tonight. Uh, 10 minutes of positivity. What a smashing success. We'll do it again tomorrow, and we will be back
2: tomorrow. Uh, It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650.